What is this? Are you trying to trick me? What is this? What's going on here? What are you people doing here? You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today I've got another best of episode for you. It's been a busy week, we were away. Still have a lot of things going on, but I didn't want to leave you without an episode this week. So we've gone back to season two for some of my stories about shopping, going to the mall, and some of the places we used to go shopping at the mall. I've cleaned up the audio a little bit, remastered it a little bit, give it a little bit of a brighter sound. If you haven't heard these stories before, if you don't go all the way back to season two with me, I hope you enjoy them. And if you have heard them before, I hope you enjoy them again. So here we go, some more of the best of story time. Now, going to the grocery store as a kid is, it's a nightmare. It really is because you have to walk up and down the aisles and you have to go through all the boring stuff, the cosmetics and the meat and all the boring cheese. And it was just a nightmare. It was just a nightmare. Now, of course, I'm talking about from the kid's perspective. From my mom's perspective, it was probably even more of a nightmare because picture this. Young mother, three kids, all under the age of six years old, having to go to the grocery store. Can you imagine that? That would be like herding cats in a hurricane. I don't know how she did it, but she was able to do it. But it wasn't just going up and down the aisles. And I didn't realize this until years later, what was going on. But my mom kept a budget because we had to. As I've said many times before, we didn't have two nickels to rub together when I was growing up. So mom had a very limited shopping budget. I didn't know it, but she did. And so she had to keep track of every nickel that she spent when we went shopping. There wasn't a lot of money for extras. There wasn't a lot of money for frills and bells and whistles and all the little stuff that we take for granted these days. Oh, would you like that granola bar? Sure, throw that in. Oh, a bag of lollipops? Sure, throw that in. Now, mom had a very strict shopping list and a very strict budget. And so she was a good price shopper and she showed me how to price shop. And I learned about coupons, too. She was a coupon clipper. Now, Mom was not one of those crazy coupon cutters. She didn't have hundreds of dollars worth of coupons. I don't even know if it was possible back when I was a kid to have that much savings in coupons. But what she did have to do was keep track of every nickel. And she had what I always called the clicker. The clicker was a little handheld mechanical counter that was divided into pennies, dimes, and dollars. And if you clicked on the penny button, it had three buttons on it. And if you clicked on the penny button, you'd click five times for a nickel, ten times for a dime, or you could just click once on the dime slot. And it would be click, 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 click. Every time you hit it, you'd hear a click. And so for every single item that mom bought, she would click the price into her clicker. And that's how she would keep track of how much she spent. And don't forget, this is the days before you had an app for a phone. You didn't even have a phone you were taking with you. But this is also the days before you had anything like a pocket calculator. There wasn't an electronic device where she could just punch in $1.98 or $0.57 for a can of beans or whatever it was. If you wanted to keep track of what you were spending, you could either take a notebook with you and write everything down and then add it up as you went along, or they had this little clicker that automatically just added things up. So if you'd click 10 cents, then you'd click 5 cents, then you'd click 7 more cents, 
If you just kept hitting that penny clicker, you'd have 22 cents. It would just automatically roll over. Every 10 clicks would roll over a dime. Every 100 clicks would roll over a dollar. And mom would have that thing in her left hand and clicking away. Click, 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 click. And everything she put in the cart, click, 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 click. Can of corn, 33 cents. Click, 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 click. Three dimes, three pennies. Another can of corn, 33 cents. Click, 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 click. Pound of ground beef, 57 cents. Click, 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 click. And it would add everything up. And that's how she kept track of what she was spending. Now, we didn't know as kids what she was doing. But that clicker, if we left the house without that clicker, we had to go back and get it because she had to keep track. She had to stay within budget. And this is how she did it. And so we would go up and down the aisles as a family, herding the cats through the hurricane as we walked up and down the aisles, trying to get quickly through the candy aisle and the cereal aisle so that we kids wouldn't be, oh, mom, can we get some candy? Oh, mom, some Captain Crunch. They do that on purpose, by the way. They design those aisles so that the kids are all whining in the same spot and the parents are going to have to break down and do something. Okay, here's a box of Lucky Charms for the love of God. Please shut up. But when we were kids, parents didn't give in the way they do now. When we were kids, if mom said, there'll be no Lucky Charms today, we just can't afford it this week. Then we said, okay. There was no whining. There was no having a fit. There was no throwing ourselves on the floor, ranting and raving, I want my Lucky Charms. If mom said no, we can't get Lucky Charms this week, guess what? We didn't get Lucky Charms this week. And we knew enough not to ask for candy. Oh, we weren't buying any candy. No. Even in the checkout lines, you know how they have those racks there with the gum and the candy bars and all the little things that might appeal to kids? We knew enough not to look because we were not getting them. It was not going to happen. But going up and down the aisles with my mom as a kid, I saw what she did and I learned how she shopped and she would comparison shop and I learned how important that is. And I also learned that most of the time there's not a difference between what I like to call the house brand or the generic brand of a product and the national brand except price. I mean, there's not a huge difference between a can of ShopRite corn and a can of Del Monte corn except the Del Monte corn is 20 cents higher. And you know what? You put a can of ShopRite corn in a pan on the stove, warm it up, throw some butter in it. Can't tell the difference between that and Del Monte at all. But I also learned that sometimes it is worth it to buy a national brand depending on what the product is. For instance, peanut butter. There's a huge difference in taste between ShopRite's peanut butter and Jif's peanut butter or Skippy peanut butter or even Peter Pan peanut butter. And I learned that over the years, too. Mom would not buy the cheap knockoff brand of peanut butter because there was a definite difference in taste. Not so with vegetables, more so with peanut butter. But she learned that by trial and error. And so that's one of the things that I picked up. But the thing that was most important to me was the comparison shopping. Look for the sales. Look for the specials. Because you do save significant amounts of money if you're aware of what products you need and what the prices are. And so I was taught, even though it wasn't an actual lesson with mom sitting down and saying, okay, this is how you shop. Just by going with her and watching, I learned how to do this. And I learned what it meant to do it. And I learned why we did it. And so when my kids were small, I would bring them to the supermarket with me. I didn't school them on how to shop. I just had them there for the process because it worked for me. So I figured by osmosis, it would work for them too. And it kind of has.
The shopping malls are a dying breed. They're a dinosaur. They're from a bygone era. And it's kind of sad, actually, because the shopping mall was the center of our existence, starting in the teenage years and going up into our late 20s, even early 30s, at least for me. The shopping mall was the place to go to get whatever you needed, meet people, have a meal, hang out, just do things. And it's so different now. The shopping mall is just on its way out. Now, to be sure, there are still some thriving shopping malls out there. The Mall of America in Minnesota springs to mind. That's still a huge place, still a tourist attraction. There's also the Garden State Plaza in New Jersey, which is up in Paramus, not too far from me. And that place is huge, and it's always busy, and there's always people there. But what I'm talking about is the smaller malls, or the malls in smaller cities. When I was growing up, malls would pop up in every town, it seemed or in central areas between towns, at least here. I grew up in New Jersey, so we have a lot of towns close together, but the stores in those towns are not always accessible. It's hard to get to. So shopping malls would pop up in areas that were easier to get to. And one of the first malls that popped up that I that I was aware of is a place called Rockaway Town Square Mall. And they always put a name with it, Town Square Mall. They wanted to make it sound like a cool place to go, like the town square in small towns. When you were growing up as a kid in the 40s and the 50s, you'd have the barbershop there and the hardware store there and the feed shop. You'd get your dry goods. You'd get whatever you needed at the shops around the town square. So then you would get the Rockaway Town Square Mall. Willowbrook Mall was another one of the big ones near me. Willowbrook. It sounds great, doesn't it? And they created these malls so that there would be a central place for all of the people from the small surrounding towns that didn't really have a town square or a main street where they could go to do their shopping and eventually hang out. That's what they became, a hangout. And really, the shopping mall is is the result of suburban sprawl. People didn't stay in the cities. People didn't stay in the towns. They moved out of them, but they still needed the convenience of shopping in one place, thus the shopping mall. But as kids, we didn't care about that crap. It was a great place to go because they had everything. Now, all of the malls always had an anchor store or two or three, depending on how big the mall was. And when I say anchor store, that's one of those big department stores. Sears, JCPenney, Macy's. One of the big department stores where you had men's clothes and women's clothes and jewelry and Sears had appliances and they had an outdoor department and some of the other stores like Abraham and Strauss near us or Fortunoff's near us had outdoor stuff. So you could go get your patio furniture or your barbecue grills or whatever you needed. And it was a huge store. Now, when I was growing up, there was always a Sears. There was almost always a JCPenney. Macy's took over for a lot of the higher-end anchor stores that used to exist. There used to be Bamberger's. That was one of the local anchor stores for us. There was a place called Gimbel's. There was another place called Abraham and Strauss. All of these places, all of these department stores, these giant anchor stores were kind of absorbed by Macy's or just simply went out of business. But you had the anchor stores where they had everything you could possibly want in the giant anchor stores. And the anchor stores would be at the ends of the mall. But what made the mall fun and interesting was all of the little stores in between the anchors on the ends of the mall. And I'm not even going to try to address the stores that are there now because they change so quickly. But when I was a kid, if you went to the mall in 1985, that same store would be there for five or six years. And you could always count on your favorite store being there and you being able to find what you wanted in your favorite store. 
This is brand names and products and things that were part of our daily lives, either because we used them or because we saw their commercials every single day on TV. And here's an example of one of those commercials that you grew up with that was in your head all of the time, at least if you're a person of a certain age. Texaco was a huge brand. It was a great big oil company. They had a great big advertising campaign. Everybody knew Texaco. Everybody knew the Texaco star. There was a jingle that I can still remember the words to. You can trust your car to the man who wears the star. The big, bright Texaco star. That's still in my head. How many years later? When's the last time that jingle played? I have no idea because the company doesn't really exist anymore. You don't see Texaco anything except maybe on a bottle of motor oil or an occasional gas station somewhere along the line. But Texaco was a huge brand name, and they had chains of gas stations across the country when I was growing up. And this is back in the day when Texaco gas stations were full-service stations. They'd have an attendant come out, he'd check your air pressure, he'd wash your windshield. He would do everything for you. And Texaco marketed itself as this full service. We take care of you and your car and got the best oil. We got the best this. We got the best that. We've got gasoline with Tecron. Who remembers Tecron in their gasoline? Texaco is huge. And now you might see one of those rusty old signs flapping in the wind in a deserted town somewhere on Route 66 out in Arizona. That's about as close as you're going to come to a Texaco station anymore. So those are the kind of things that I'm talking about for this episode of the podcast. I've mentioned other ones in other episodes. Remember Tower Records? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Tower Records was huge. Tower Records was the be-all and end-all of record stores. They were the record store for the longest time, and they were around forever, but they never made the jump to digital. Same thing happened to Blockbuster. Remember Blockbuster? Blockbuster was huge for a period of time, and now they're gone. I mean, you can see a reference to Blockbuster in the new Captain Marvel movie. And if you look in my wallet, you can still find my Blockbuster membership card. (laughs) No, I took it out a couple of years ago, but everybody had a Blockbuster card. Everybody knew Blockbuster. But Blockbuster didn't make the jump to digital either. And so they went out along with Tower Records. Here's another brand that didn't make the jump to digital. Who had a Polaroid camera? Who remembers what a Polaroid camera was? There was actually an evolution of Polaroid cameras. Years ago, when cameras came out, you had to develop film. Now, I'm not talking about the early, early days where you had flash powder and the little hood you threw over your head and you had to pose for three minutes to get a good picture. I'm not quite that old. But cameras always used to have film. Now, they did introduce Instamatic cameras back in the 50s and 60s. So instead of having to wind film into your camera, it came in a little cartridge you would put in the camera. And those are gone too, by the way. You would get a cartridge of, what was it, 126 film? I think that was the size. And you'd slap the cartridge in the camera. But then Polaroid came out with the camera that developed pictures as you took them. Now, the original Polaroid camera was very similar in shape and size to a traditional film camera. Except when you snapped the picture, you would then pull the picture out and then let it sit for 60 seconds or two minutes, something like that. And then you'd pull the cover off of it and the film would be developed right there in front of you. That was the original Polaroid camera. My dad had one of those. The film was expensive, partly because you weren't having to pay for developing the film. It developed right there in front of you. 
But then they developed, I think they called it the Polaroid one-shot, where you would push the button and the camera would automatically eject the picture right into your hand. And then you could watch it develop. And if you've seen any of the old movies where somebody takes a Polaroid and waves it around to try to get it to dry off and develop quicker, that's what that was all about. You were developing the picture. The problem with Polaroid is they didn't make the jump to digital either. Nowadays, of course, you just put your pictures up on Instagram. You're instantly taking pictures, instantly posting them. They're instantly available and you can share them in the blink of an eye. The equivalent to that when I was young was taking a Polaroid picture, having it eject wait 60 seconds or two minutes for it to develop, and then you could pass it around so everybody could see it. That was what we used to do. But Polaroid no longer exists. There's no need for it. Now, my thinking about Polaroid got me to thinking about cameras and electronics and other things that we used to buy and use when I was a kid, and we would always get them at Circuit City. Circuit City was a huge electronics store. They had gigantic stores around us. If you heard my episode about shopping at the mall, Circuit City was always at the mall. It was usually two stories tall and full of electronics. And you would get cameras there, you would get calculators there, you would get computers there, you would get home stereo equipment there. I mean, everything that you could think of that was electronics related, it was all available at Circuit City. And somehow, in a country that loves its electronics, loves gadgets, loves gizmos, loves TVs, loves computers, somehow Circuit City went bankrupt. (laughs) Go figure that one out. How do you screw up that business model? That's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate you listening to all of the episodes, including this best of episode. Hope you liked it. If you have any suggestions or stories you'd like to hear on future best of episodes, message me on Twitter, whisper me on Twitch, Just let me know. We'll find those stories. We'll put them up in future episodes. Thanks again, guys. Until next time, you take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.